Hello and welcome to this week's Cycling Industry News Podcast, brought to you in association with Zara Fisher. I'm here this week with Colin Rees, who is a, uh, a sales trainer that many of you may know from the cycling industry. Um, Colin, tell us a little bit about your background. Well, how far back do you really want me to go? <laughs> Basically, it was uh, completely sort of marketing, selling uh, various different areas. I think uh, we had three companies running seven different activities at one point. Um, I started to do training uh, probably about, it sounds awful actually, but about 30 years ago at least, where I went to Chambers of Commerce and various other places. I just found training really interesting and uh, the various different subjects, the different places we went to, the different uh, batches of people, they were just so interesting, it was, it was a good thing to do. Then I became associated with um, ACT and I was a consultant with them, a management consultant with them for three years, during which time we identified that sales training was uh, not in the cycle industry at all. And they said, would I go away and think about it? So I wrote a course and went back and showed them what we'd done and they decided to give it a try and it really grew from there. And I've been doing it now for about, I think altogether 25 years in various different places, up down the UK and in Ireland. And how many different bike shop doors do you think you've been through over the years? Well, we always have arguments about that, um, me and my missus. I think I've been to about 600, actually. Wow. <laughs> That's a good chunk of the market. <laughs> it is. And she says, well, you've been away a lot. I know that. So it's, I really have never added them up. Right. And so um, tell us a bit about the, the skills that you brought to those businesses over the years. I think it really stems from making people stop and think why are they doing what they're doing in the way they're doing it. And that's really the object of the exercise because if you think about it, people go from day to day, you go to work, you do the job, you go home again. Do you actually have time during that period to think really carefully about perhaps the way you've talked to people? Would you sell more bikes if you talked to them in a slightly different way? Uh, Would you have a different kind of customer if your shop was laid out in a different way? Are you appealing to the actual market in your area or are you just really buying the goods that you think people would be interested in because you like them? All sorts of of things. I, I try and make people just stop and think. And what would you say was the most um, common uh, when you when you approached or bike shop approached you? Um, what were they most commonly asking for help with? In, in essence, everyone is the same in terms of the business requirement to make more profit, but they don't see it as net profit. They see it as sales income, which is a different thing altogether. And so we're looking at all sorts of different areas there. We're looking at saving money as well as trying to get more business. But the problems are very often similar. You you get staff who are real bikey lads and really interested in what they're doing, terribly enthusiastic, but in terms of actual ability, in terms of, of convincing people that these are the right products or in the right place to be used, is a different thing altogether. Um, Every single bike shop has got the biggest amount of technical expertise you could ever have in its workshop. And you've only got to walk over and ask somebody something you don't know. So you've got all sorts of technical expertise. You don't have to have it yourself. 
So I often try and uh, persuade owners to think more about the sales ability that somebody has actually got. And I think that's really why the basic sales training course has been so successful. Mm. Uh, presumably a, a big part of um, having a staff member who is worth their weight in gold is, is actually getting the recruitment right in the first place. Are there any tips that you would have on that front? Or Talking about recruitment, it's, it seems to be, in many cases... I've got a slot and I need to fill it, um, as opposed to really doing some research in terms of what are the tasks you want this person to achieve, and therefore what skills do they need to be able to achieve those tasks. And if you think about it, it's completely understandable. You suddenly realise that somebody's going to be leaving, we can't possibly take on that amount of work, uh, particularly in a small shop, uh, when somebody goes. So something's got to happen, and it's got to happen as quickly as it can, and also as cheaply as it can. So somebody will come in not necessarily worried too much about, as I say, the particular skills they need, but just to fill the gap and make sure it all ticks over quite well. When I was in one store, uh, one particular person had a lot of problems with recruitment. He couldn't keep the people. And the reason for it really was they weren't the right people to begin with, either personality-wise, fitting into the team, that wasn't right, or maybe uh, he got annoyed because they wouldn't do what he told them, um, and that's because, frankly, they didn't really know how, and he didn't train them. He just expected everyone to come in and be able to do it. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just human nature. It's how we are, we, we're all terribly busy, uh, and it's really a bit of an encumbrance to lose a person. So I think recruitment is a pretty big subject and it's a shame sometimes that uh, owners don't spend a little more time perhaps grading them. One particular tip I will give every single owner that ever takes on another person and that is please give people a second interview. What you learn on the second interview that you didn't hear on the first is sometimes quite extraordinary. That's a good tip. Okay, and, and um, for the sales in particular, you said earlier that perhaps there was a, a certain psychology that may need to be changed. If you have hired that staff member and they're not performing, uh, perhaps how you might have expected, um, is there a certain mindset that needs to be tapped into to be able to sell effectively? That depends on the kind of team you've got, how you want the person to fit in, and what you want the person to do. It also depends on your psychology. Are you going to give them the time they need to bed them in properly, to give them a proper induction period, to make them in a, put them in a position to understand the way that you work and the way that you think, therefore what you need doing. So your psychology as an owner, uh, when a new person comes in, is, is also pretty important. But as I said before, this grading of people at the beginning and making sure they've actually got the skills that they need is one of the most important bits. Okay. Um, and so if a customer comes in, for example, and, and you, you've a, a new sales staffer and they, they haven't faced the question before of, uh, they haven't guided a customer through a bike sale, what processes would you... Um, put forward for, for the modern customer who's perhaps a little bit internet savvy too um, they may ask for a discount they uh, they may want some extras uh, what, how would you guide uh, a salesperson through an effective sale that ends up profitable 
Well, you've just given a super layout for a sales training episode. Because if you don't explain to people exactly what is likely to happen, there are stages in every sales conversation. So it starts with your introduction, it goes into uh, getting rapport with the customer, taking them over, showing them the product, and the way you show them is intensely important as to whether you interest them or whether you don't. It's quite possible, I've heard it done, where chaps have just stood there and reeled off a whole load of things they think is right. The customer hasn't understood a word because he doesn't know what those things mean. So it's that sort of thing. It's closing the sale, making absolutely sure you ask the question every single time. That's a 10% sales increase before you start. And then going into the psychology of what else that person needs. So let's forget about selling. Let's forget about profit. And let's give that person who's a human being the best riding experience they can have. People who've been on courses would have heard me say that before, sometimes more than once, because I want it to stick. But if you take on a completely different attitude to selling, and you don't worry about whether you make the sale or whether you don't, and how much profit you're going to make on the bike if you do, and you just want to give that person the best possible riding experience they can have, you'll do the job automatically better. Plus, at the end, you'll suggest uh, accessories and various other things that can really help that person to enjoy their bike in the best possible way. And you'll have done the best job you can. Is a large part of it um, stepping back and just listening to what the customer wants to achieve from their, from their ride? To an extent it is, yes. But it's knowing what is coming before you start. It's having, you know, these, these, they're not tricks. It's every sales conversation, in essence, is actually exactly the same. What's different is the personality of the customer that you've got in front of you. So where we go into advanced selling, we look at the different types of people. There's basically four different types of people. Uh, one of them I always highlight is the enthusiast. And he knows more than we do before we start opening our mouths. Well, we have to be conscious of that. And he wants to uh, be able to be seen to be better. And we must let him do that. You may then completely change your attitude to the next customer who comes in, who actually just talks and talks and talks. And you can't actually make your sale because he's yakking on too much. So what you need to do is understand where he's coming from, identify him, and keep asking him questions, which brings him back onto the path that you want to go, because actually you're in charge. Okay, so there's actually uh, multiple customer personalities to consider. Well, it's said, I think, that there are 32 human types, uh, but there's four basic ones, and those are the ones that I usually explain when, when we're on a course. Okay, okay. And um, perhaps the modern customer more, more so um, is is guilty of sort of expecting a discount. We, we've written before in, in your columns in Cycling Industry News about the perhaps a culture of discounting in bike shops. When a customer comes in with that mentality, how do you guide them back to seeing the value of their purchase? But that's precisely the way that you can overcome the question, which is, if you like, political. It's avoiding it. So in other words, it's not a matter of do you want a discount, yes or no, or sorry, the other way around, uh, can I have a discount, yes or no. It's not, not to do with that. It's not to do with either yes or no. It's to do with the fact of illustrating to that person what they're actually buying, what they're going to get for their money. But that's after you've put up about four or five hurdles, making it perfectly clear that you don't discount. I, I think people... Um, 
have resented quite often when I've gone into a bike shop and tried to explain that they should actually stop giving money out of their back pocket, which is effectively what they're doing. They may as well go down the street and give somebody a teller. It's exactly the same thing. And I can understand their thinking, owners' thinking, because they think they're going to lose business and they're going to, if you like, because the chap down the road does it, I've got to do it, and these sorts of thoughts. Yes, okay, they may well lose some business, but will they lose the amount in the course of a year that they're giving away at the moment? And that's the figure you've got to look at. And when we did that exercise with a shop in the Midlands, he actually, uh, this was a a, a two-day course, and um, he did this overnight. And crunching the numbers, he realized that he gave away £40,000 a year in discounts. And I said to him, simple question, will you lose £40,000 if you say no to people? And he said no. And the next day, he put up a sign in his store saying, please don't ask ask us for a discount. I'm really sorry, our overheads don't allow it. Which is actually quite reasonable if you think about it. You've got a store, you've got to pay all those costs of running the store. But people, never, customers would never think about that. They just go in and say, I want to buy a bike, you know. It seems to be particularly bad in the bike industry, but um, we are unfortunately not alone at the moment. The, the high street is is suffering. Do you think the, the problem is is present across wider retail and I think particularly in, at the moment? In independence, it might be because the customer knows if they walk into an independent, there is a decision maker in there that can say yes or no. And what the hell, you know, they can always say no. Why don't I ask anyway? But people have so often raised the fact that nobody asks for a discount in Sainsbury's. No, I think they'd look at you a bit funny if you did. But the interesting <laughs> thing is, it's companies the size of Sainsbury's that are going down the plug. Mm. That's the interesting thing. So discounts will, it comes off the bottom line, it comes off the boss's uh, um, back pocket, as I've said. It's net profit he's giving away. It's almost like placing an advert in the paper uh, that doesn't work. That's net profit that has been lost. It's actually promotional cost. But it's just a subject that I've never been able really to, uh, um, to get over to people, that they don't have to do it. One really good example is um, organisations uh, like CTC um, and people like that uh, in bike clubs automatically get 10%. All you've got to do is walk into the store, tell people you're from XYZ Bike Shop and they'll knock 10% off. Well, I won't talk about percentages as opposed to pound notes, but but I would never ever give a percentage anyway, but that's something else. If you think about it, do all the people from those organisations only come into your shop? The answer is no. They go into your whole marketplace, your whole market area, and get 10%, because they're all members of the uh, the bike club. Well, if you think about that for a second, is that crazy? Because all of the market is giving away 10% to people in that bike club just because they're in the bike club. Mm. Would it not be much more sensible to get the bike club owner, should we say, to come into your store and to talk to him and explain this is unaffordable. In the old days, it used to be possible, but margins are so tight now and costs are so high, can't do it anymore. What I will do is I will make a contribution to your bike club for every one of your members that comes in to see me. I won't give it to the individual, but at the end of the year, we'll add up what they've spent and we'll give you a contribution. And I guarantee you now, you'll probably give away an eighth of what you were giving away before. That's a very interesting way of looking at it. 
Um, so it, that aside, are there any acceptable ways to drive customers through incentive? Um, say they've purchased a bike uh, and you're in, in the process of upselling. Is, is there any other incentive that you could give that doesn't really harm your net profit too badly? If I ran a bike shop, I would put into practice the 12 articles that I've just written for you about running the best possible bike shop I could and doing it in a way whereby I get this core of customers who literally would not go anywhere else. They know that my products are right for them. They know that my costs, sorry, my prices are absolutely fair. They're not too high, they're not too low, they're just right. They know that they're going to get a welcome. Somebody's actually going to smile at them when they come in, let alone be greeted. And it's not a matter of, oh, why are you here and how much you're going to spend? It's, oh, isn't it good to see you again? And that is a totally different kind of attitude. And this is all about the attitude we have for our customers. Are they our friends or are they people that just provide us with cash to pay our costs? Because there's two different things here. And I suggest that uh, anyone who listens to this that likes the idea reads your articles because it says there from chapter and verse how to do it. Mm. It's not difficult and it doesn't cost and that's the most important thing. And it it feeds in a little with um, customers nowadays seem to want more of an experience in store. Um, There's a lot of bike shops now have social areas, they offer coffee. Um, Is this part of the modern retail picture? I I think that's great. And I think actually, uh, the other thing is, what is your bike shop saying to people? Is it exciting? Is it interesting? Do you change it around? Or does it stay the same as it's always been? Because quite frankly, it's such a faff to have to mess about with the window all the time and and do things in a different way. And I've got to keep coming up with ideas. Well, you can steal ideas from Sainsbury's and various other people. Um, You might be just walking down a high street and see something in a bride's shop or something that they're doing really well. That can be translated into cycling. So there's ideas all over the place. In Mm. fact, every time you walk into a supermarket, you can get some kind of an idea to take away. Mm. Things hanging on shelves and various other different ways of displaying products can be really useful. But the most important thing is the attitude of the people. Do they really care about customers coming through the door? You know, is is there a fight between four or five salespeople to get to that customer to look after them. Uh, I mean that psychologically, I don't mean that in practice. Do they really want people to come in? And when they do come in, are they nice? Are they friendly? Do they care whether they sell anything or whether they don't? It's a matter really of uh, welcoming. And that's one of the things that coffees are quite good at because obviously you have a coffee, you've got to wait for it to cool down. (laughs) (laughs) Gives you time to form a relationship with the customer. There's... um, Numerous things actually uh, that are relatively uh, new in a, in a professional manner to the bike shop. Think uh, bike fitting and and all the offshoots of that saddle fitting. The other day we saw even custom molded grips uh, and things like that coming to market. Do you think there'll be more products like that in future where? Uh, 
they are geared to that more personalised experience that keeps the customer in store and I makes think, them feel. Yeah, I, I yeah. think so because I think it's the way ahead. Quite honestly, as I say, you if to make your store more interesting, you've got to have different things in it. You can't have the same old things that you've always been sort of relying on and peddling. You 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 do have to make uh, a bit of an effort now and again to do things slightly differently. You don't need to spend hordes of money. I've spent my entire career trying to give people ideas that don't cost them anything to do, virtually. One very, very quick one is uh, I went into a store a little while ago who put luggage labels on people's bikes uh, at the station and increased their pedestrian flow no end by the offer they put on the label. Now, you know, how easy is that? Mm. So it's things like that 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 you want to do. You were talking about products. Yes, I think manufacturers have probably suddenly realised that actually they've also got to uh, step up to the plate. But that, again, comes from demand. It comes from being told these are things that could be of interest. Mm. We spoke briefly then on... um on a little merchandising how you could perhaps go into a supermarket and take ideas what are the classics that um, bike shops or or anyone in retail indeed might have overlooked gosh what a question Um, change and change on a regular basis every now and again this is I wouldn't say this is regular but maybe perhaps every six months our local supermarket down the road seems to pick the whole store up and put it down again in a completely different way. People get terribly frustrated because they knew where the yogurt was, but now they've actually got to go around and have a different experience. IKEA leads you with their arrows on the floor and you go to a garden centre very often and they actually lead you where you want to go. That's something that never really took off in bike shops and I can understand why because they've got a different shape they've got a different size of store so you've really got to think about it but as a customer comes in the door where do you actually want him to go and that depends on demand in the area is it uh, accessory driven is it uh, repair driven uh, is it new bike driven so you know these are the, the the simple areas the old sort of standards like uh, putting at eye level the uh, average prices and putting the high stuff higher and things like that well that may not actually work for you it might be something which is said to be something we should all do but in your particular area that might not work for you so it's it's all about change and doing things in a slightly different way so psychologically when they come in um, they're stimulated by the fact that actually something's changed Uh, One point I would also add is, uh, if I'm actually in your store, do I know where I am? How many notices are there that that show me your brand? Uh, Where's your name? Are there any uh, advertisements in the changing room, which normally are blank walls? Are you using every piece of space that you can in there to get the message across? Even a bit of humour, if you like, on price tickets works really well. Just giving somebody a chuckle is different to perhaps the bloke down the road, in which case you've got an advantage. From your years of, of sales training and, and travelling as many stores as you had, are, are there any examples that stick out of things that have been done really well that um, if they stick in your mind, presumably they would have stuck in the customers too? The, there was one uh, huge example of a difference in profitability when this was in the Lake District, I can't remember exactly where now, they had uh, a very secondary location. Not very many people went up that passage, but they had a big shop, so they had two sort of window areas. 
And uh, I always ask an owner when I go in, you know, what are your problems? What, what, what difficulties have you got to see if we can come up with ideas that might help at the time? And in their particular case, they said, we just don't have very much repair business. And we think we should because there's hundreds of people in this town. They've all got bikes and, you know, we should be doing more than we are. So I said, well, have you tried putting uh, a stand in your window and building your new bikes in the window and not repairs so everything's nice and clean um, but you've got it nicely laid out and you've got spanners on the wall that can be plastic if you like it doesn't matter whether you use them this is just for show Um, you're then telling people this is a speciality and don't uh, let the guys keep their Cytec certificates in their bedrooms you need them in your store showing people that you're a professional organisation so you know let, let them advertise for you Um, Lo and behold, guess what happened? They doubled their repairs, I think it was probably in the first six months, actually. Amazing. Okay, so sometimes it just takes a little bit of uh, advertising in a a smart way. Yeah, Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's appealing to the marketplace, but it's also biting this bullet. I, I know what problems and pains in the neck windows can be, but then I ask you the question, how often do you change yours? Okay, Colin. Well, we've covered some good ground there, so um, perhaps we have a second interview at some point. (laughs) (laughs) But um, thank you for your time this week. That was the Cycling Industry News podcast brought to you in association with Zara Fisher. Thank you again, Colin. Pleasure. Thank you.